0: Morning. I'm going to lead off on this Monday morning, the 22nd of March, uh, with a question It's going to sound very, very familiar to those of you who listen to the program uh, on a regular basis. So say it with me. Where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? Well, we are reading the Gospel of Mark during the month of March in the lead up to Easter. And so my answer to this question here on air is going to consistently be, we're in the Gospel of Mark. And we started this on Saturday, so today we're reading Mark chapter 3. But there's no reason that you cannot uh, join us now. And if you want to, you know, sort of let us know that you're reading with us, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Just check out the Linton Reading Invitation. So we are in Mark chapter 3 today. Jesus uh, enters the synagogue and encounters there a man with a withered hand. And, and you're, you're going to note as we read, and here's maybe what I want you to listen for throughout the Gospel of Mark, how people respond to Jesus. Just ask yourself that one question throughout the entirety of your reading of the Gospel of Mark. How do different people respond to Jesus? And so how do people who are in desperate need respond to Jesus? How do people who are in positions of power and authority respond to Jesus? How do... Uh, people identified as Jews respond to Jesus? How do people identified as Roman or Gentiles or um, people of foreign birth, how do they respond to Jesus? How do women respond to Jesus? I mean, on and on and on. Just ask yourself in every circumstance, how are these people responding to Jesus? So again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they, the they here is uh, the religious leaders of the day, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Now, who's the? Who are they focused on? Well, they're focused on Jesus. Jesus is focused on who? The man with the withered hand. We might learn a principle right there. Um, we might settle in at just the first two verses of Mark chapter three and ask ourselves what we're focused on. Am I focused on finding the fault in another? Am I focused on? You know, whether or not the orthodoxy of that individual stands up to my orthodoxy, or am I actually living out, you know, a a Jesus lifestyle, looking for the person in the greatest need and seeing how the kingdom of God might be brought to bear in their life today? So that's the kind of reading I hope you're going to do um, in this chapter today. So Jesus does heal the man with the withered hand, um, and he does so. I would argue to demonstrate who he is and to let the let the Jewish leaders of the day know exactly who they're dealing with. Um, they're they're dealing with a person who recognizes that the Sabbath was uh, is is his day. He's Lord of the Sabbath, and so he doesn't need to take a day off on the Sabbath. Um, his father is working. He is working. That's language that you'll hear later as well. Um, Jesus acknowledges in this chapter that he is the Son of God. He calls the 12 uh, disciples unto himself. How do people respond to Jesus? How do people respond to Jesus? Um, And that's a question that I'm going to invite you to ask as you read Mark chapter 3 today. Um, And I'd love to spend time talking about the way at the end of this chapter, Jesus' mother and his brothers come and stand outside of a place where Jesus is teaching, where a crowd is sitting around him. And the disciples say, hey, your, your mom is outside. Your brothers are outside. Uh, they're looking for an opportunity to talk with you. And Jesus redefines the family right then and there in terms of how we belong to one another in the body of Christ. He answers them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat with him, he says, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, in no way is Jesus disowning his own mother um, or his own family. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have Jesus from the cross, uh, you know, committing uh, Mary, his mother, to the care of John, his disciple. Nor would we have um, the Book of James, right? So, you know, just, 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 just saying, just saying. Okay, so um, we got Zach Jenkins teed up next. COVID. COVID is the headline news. More than a quarter of Minnesotans have had at least one vaccine dose. 15% of state residents have already completed their vaccine or vaccinations. We're going to catch up on a number of COVID headlines next with Dr. Zach Jenkins. We'll be right back. Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University back with us today. Welcome back, Zach. Good morning. Good morning. So the big, uh, the big headline this morning related to COVID is the, is the news related to the AstraZeneca vaccine. So why don't we start there?
2: Yeah, so there was quite a stir last week with a uh, number of cases being reported of possible clots associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And so what ended up happening is the Europeans' um, FDA equivalent as well as uh, the UK's FDA equivalent um, both took a really hard look at uh, all the data supporting or, um, against, or that may be against this idea of clots occurring with the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, because what had happened is they had actually said, hey, stop giving the vaccine while we take a look at this. So they look at this data, and they ended up finding that there wasn't really any Increased risk of clots associated with the vaccine, and I think that's kind of an important thing to distinguish here. Uh, when I first heard this news, you know, my big thought was, well, gosh, you know, COVID that causes a ton of clots on its own. That's something that we've been battling for quite some time. And my my whole thought was, I bet you the incidence, even if it did happen, is far greater with COVID than with with the vaccine. And basically, what their findings suggested is. Well, it's it's low. It's like less than the the clots that were observed. Even if it happened in the general population, it's less than like one in a million. Um, if that even were to occur, they don't think that it's associated at all, though.
0: So I um I listened uh on Friday and over the weekend um to you know all of the things that the Biden administration is saying in, in relationship to vaccines, and I I took particular interest in this um what I think is you know, being dubbed vaccine diplomacy, a dose of vaccine diplomacy. Apparently, we are sharing doses um, of the AstraZeneca vaccine with both Mexico and Canada. These are surplus doses. um, So it's not as if, you know, those outside the United States are going to be vaccinated when people inside the United States maybe are still waiting for vaccines. Um, So I just wanted to highlight that um, in the conversation this morning as well. Can we talk about um, other guidelines, new guidelines that the CDC issued related to schools and kids returning to school um, in in sort of this continuing COVID era.
2: Yeah, so the CDC's director had been suggesting for some time that they were working on, on guidelines to try to phase different schools back up. And some states are very far ahead of the game when it comes to opening schools back up. Other states are still in places where they're not even doing in-person instruction. And so these were kind of, you know, being waited on with a lot of anticipation Um, But they did finally publish this on March 19th, and what ended up happening with these guidelines is they're basically suggesting sort of a phased approach to reopening schools at large. So what they're suggesting is based on community transmission, this this would be kind of like guidelines that you could follow if you're afraid about reopening. So they're trying to encourage people to to bring schools back to normal. And they cite a lot of evidence to support things. They get into a lot of things we've talked about before about how, you know, younger kids transmitted at a lower rate than uh, older children do over the age of 12. Uh, there's, like, really low evidence with student transmission in schools itself. And they, they talk about that and how it doesn't seem to increase community spread whatsoever. So with all those things in mind, they're they're suggesting – um, that maybe we can reduce how far people are spaced apart in schools. Because right now it's been pretty difficult. They've been having to make like uh, make your student groups about six feet apart routinely. And they're saying in a lot of cases, especially with the, the younger students, maybe three feet's okay. Now in Ohio, as an example, we've actually been doing the three-foot rule, we'll say, for quite a while. We looked at our local data in the state and they said, well, the evidence doesn't seem to say that you're worse off At least with our younger children, it's six feet versus three feet, and why that's such an important consideration in schools is they don't really have space all the time. You know, you're limited on rooms. Um, It's it's really hard to keep people spread out throughout the day and cohorted throughout the day.
0: Yeah, I just the whole thing. I mean, the six feet was kind of arbitrary anyway. I mean, I so you know it seems reasonable to me. I appreciate that we're making an effort to get kids back in school, Um, and so I. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. All right, we we're going to come back after a very brief break with the question to mask or not to mask after you've been vaccinated. That is the question. I've got Dr. Zach Jenkins. Where we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Returning to my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins. Um, Zach, you are uh, you are on the front lines of um, of covid. You are in an environment where uh, you have witnessed its effects on people. Um, you you know what we're dealing with. I think there are certainly people listening who um, are certainly still skeptical about vaccines. I'm getting a text from, um, you know, from some communicating as much. Um, let's talk about reinfection uh, reinfection risk, because that is a part of the conversation related to behavior for those who have been vaccinated. So we've, you know, we've heard very public debates about whether or not people who have been vaccinated uh, should continue to mask. And um, we have public figures who obviously have all been vaccinated, are in uh, rooms with one another. Some of them are wearing masks and now some are not wearing masks. Let's just talk about um, COVID reinfection risk.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when, when you kind of look at it. Um, I, I won't, uh, I'm not trying to pick on any particular public officials, but there have been a lot of instances where some have come forward and they're speaking and they're wearing, uh, two masks in situations where they're clearly not very close in proximity to other people and they, we know they've been vaccinated. So that always makes you like, I don't know about that. Um, But as far as as far as reinfection rates, so I have seen reinfections in people just to clarify, uh, like true reinfections, not just people who've been readmitted and are still sick. We're talking months later, they've come back and they do have a new case of covid. But the incidence is actually really rare in the community when you look at it, although it's higher in the elderly. and, And that would certainly match my experience personally. Um, so as you approach the age of 60, uh, 60 on up, we know that your your rate is much, much higher of reinfection than it than it would be otherwise. But even so, reinfection is low with the dominant strain that's been present in the United States. And this is where part of that discussion becomes a little bit more interesting. So it it, it does kind of depend on the variants. We we think that some of the ones that are in circulation, some of these mutants, like the U.K. one that's starting to hit in the U.S., Um, And the Brazilian one, we think that you may be partially protected against those. But there's a big study by Pfizer that was done. And and this is actually looking at their success of their their vaccine. And some of the Pfizer data is suggesting that, at least with the South African variant, it seems like you're not nearly as protected. And so why that's concerning is that could mean you have a whole other wave potentially of people um, that, that would be reinfected. So that that is that is our underlying concern there. We need some more real world data to make some conclusions on that one. Um, Even so, as far as what what the CDC is recommending right now with regards to masks and the data was there long before the CDC recommended this, by the way, is once you've received both vaccines, uh, both doses, if you have a two dose regimen or one dose, if you do the Johnson and Johnson uh, two weeks after that, you should be okay to be around other people that have also been vaccinated, or if you limit the number of people that haven't been, your your risk of transmitting to them is pretty low. Um, So either way, your risk of transmission is low. The data said you're maybe carrying like one one thousandth of the amount of virus you would have before at at the highest. So in my opinion, you're pretty safe to interact with people.
0: All right. We're also getting follow-up questions um, about um, having kids vaccinated, which I think leads us to a conversation about Moderna's yeah. testing vaccines on youth.
2: Yeah. So we have been looking at, at least uh, publicly, we've been looking at what's going to happen with, with children. Do we need to vaccinate them all? How much of a push is there going to be? You know, I mentioned earlier with kids, we know they don't tend to bring it into schools as much. The kids can't absolutely get COVID. Um, typically when they get it, it's from each other and we know their, their risk overall for, um, morbidity. So those are like the long-term consequences and short-term consequences. And then mortality, which is obviously death are much, much lower than they are in adults. So the big question is, do kids need to be vaccinated? So what, what they've done is they've studied this down with Pfizer down to the age of 16. Moderna's looking at, at that as well. And they're going to study this down to 12 and then they're going to go all the way down to six months Potentially. Um, So they're seeing if it's safe and effective and the safety data in particular is going to be very, very important for them. Um, I would personally say, like, down to the age of 12 makes a lot of sense because we know children 12 and older, based on the data, tend to carry as much virus and transmit it at the same rates as adults. So that that can make some sense when you start talking younger. um, That's where, you know, we the data would suggest they're not higher, higher sources of transmission. So, do they need to be That's a big question.
0: Hm um would you want to weigh in just personally just as a like as a dad mm-hmm. you know, is this something you would do
2: i think I think there's a number of things to consider um probably the biggest one is is it safe? That's really important, mm-hmm. right? And you know, as a medical professional, I can assure you if you're asking questions. As is, I'm asking a gajillion more questions. Uh, my daughter, when she was born, as an example, had neonatal sepsis and pneumonia, and she was on all these agents that I knew what they did. So I was asking lots of questions, as as one small example. Um, but I, w- in those those situations, safety is paramount. The other big question I think that you have to ask is how long is this going to last? And we don't know yet how long is the vaccine going to last. We have some we have some thoughts about. Possible, possible durations, but we just don't know yet. So if it's going to last more than a year, I think it makes a lot of sense maybe for kids to get it. But if it's a year, particularly if you're very young, I, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense. Okay. And then uh, I, have I mean, a, you can't. I have a,
0: I but... totally have a question that's not on our list today. Can I, can I tee it up? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. So I watched a little TV over the weekend, which is really unusual for me, but my, my rest of my family was out of town. And so, you know, I filled a few boredom hours with television, which is a a unique experience. And I was kind of astonished. First of all, the number of drug ads that are on television, which maybe Mm -hmm. is not unusual. But the language in every single one of them included something along the lines of, um, you know, tell your physician if you've been recently vaccinated or if you anticipate being vaccinated, like for anything. Is that because there are completely unknown drug interactions and they... They're just trying to guard against people taking anything now, in 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 addition to being vaccinated for COVID, because nobody knows what the drug interactions are, or is there something um, else going on?
2: Probably it would depend on what you're what you're seeing. There are a lot of ads for immunosuppressive agents. So if you have like autoimmune mm. disorders, a lot of the med ads you see these days tend to be for those. Not all, of them, but a lot of them. So that would yeah, obviously like- put you. And it's potentially higher risk that I wouldn't say it's a direct drug interaction, but they're like, well, what happens in those cases? We just don't have a large volume of people to really talk about from a data perspective with that.
0: Super interesting. And I thought that maybe since, you know, you are our farm de-hiker, you might, um, <clears throat> you might know. So there you go. All right, um, Zach, we love talking with you, as always. Um, I think that people are going to want information going forward on um, COVID passports. Are we going to have to have them what might they look like? Can you spend a couple of minutes talking about that?
2: Yeah, so there, there's some debate. And I think I think this is understandably a big concern. You know, um, <laughs> the Left Behind books came out. And so everyone, I think, has always been on like red alert. Well, what what could be happening with, with this or these signs of the end times potentially? It's a good question, right? Um, that's not a bad question to ask. But at the same time, I, I think I'll mention that if you look at other countries, they've already had situations where in order just to get in the country, you have to be vaccinated. Like this is not something that's never happened before. Um, now, not with COVID specifically, that's the newest animal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we've had other, other places before with other vaccines that already require that. So what will happen, they're actually thinking about in some countries, New Zealand's suggesting this, using like an application on your phone. And maybe carrying some of that around with, you Now, ha- people have a lot of privacy concerns with that. Well, what does that mean? Who's going to have access to that data and that sort of thing? But it would allow people to potentially go between countries. There's no hard and fast rule. No one's made a decision on this. Uh, World Health Organization recommended against it a number of months ago. The CDC's not endorsed it. The uh, government has not endorsed it on our end. Anything like that. Um, so it's probably too early to call. And no one's saying that you have to use it to buy things with right um but i i i think i would just hesitate to i think be be too nervous about that from the perspective of you know i I think people get concerned about mark of the beast and everything like that too um but but remember that i think that's a heart choice not just like a you have to do this kind of choice you're you're choosing Mm -hmm. to follow someone else that's a very clear choice right
0: yeah Absolutely.
2: Um, so, I I would just encourage people to think about it from that perspective. If if that's happening, you're you're choosing to follow a, a bad source, that's actually not good. Well, obviously, that's probably the mark. But other than that, yeah, I'm no theologian by any means, but I think that that distinction <laughs> but, but, is pretty
0: clear. A, well, every single one of us is a theologian because it's really you know how are we thinking <laughs> and processing information about God. So we appreciate. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we appreciate your your real world application of. Um, the Christian worldview in your area, in your particular area of expertise. And, you know, not all of us share your area of expertise. And certainly pastors out there, we observed this at the end of last week, pastors are not epidemiologists. And so um, we're so grateful for people who are thinking about these things and can help the rest of us understand, because otherwise we're asking our pastors questions that they are absolutely not in a position to answer. So um, I I really very much appreciate the way you approach this. So that's Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. You can far, You can find him on Twitter at farm, not like the farm where I live, but the farm like the pharmacy. Farm D Hiker. There you go, Dr. Zach. Thanks again.
2: All right. Have a good day.
0: You too. We got to take a quick break for Knowing God. All right. I love the interaction uh, on the text line this morning. Remember, you can communicate with me by texting me at 877-933-2484. Dr. Adam Carrington is going to be up next. We're going to talk about a number of headlines uh, out of Washington, D.C. We're going to get an update on the Equality Act. We're going to talk about the filibuster. Um, We're definitely going to have a civics conversation. Um, Oh, yes. And the chaos on the southern border. And if we've got time, What's going on in New York with Governor Cuomo? Woo! All right, we're going to have to talk fast. Adam Carrington, up next.
1: Men and women are different creatures. We see things differently. We respond to crisis differently, and we often parent differently. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. After several decades of working with families, I've seen a huge diversity in the approach moms and dads use when it comes to dealing with their teens. Moms tend to talk more and want to fix everything in a single conversation. Dads tend to avoid working through conflict and don't say enough. Sound familiar? Well, even though we wrestle with different issues at home, there's no substitute for the viewpoints we bring. Use your distinctives as an asset. Celebrate the unique relationship you both enjoy with your kids. The best homes are those where moms are moms and dads are dads. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, although he's joining us from New Jersey, where he is in my old stomping ground at Princeton. Yes?
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay, uh, what, on, one
0: of my but, favorite things about, about spring in Princeton, which my guess is has not quite arrived yet, but the trees, like, all spontaneously turn into, like, bouquets on sticks. Like, it is—so I can't wait till that happens for you.
1: We were talking about that, and we're wondering, because it still looks very wintry as far as, as the foliage, but we have heard how beautiful it is. So we're looking it, forward it, to that. It is stunning.
0: It, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is It is stunning when that happens. Okay, so um, Adam, bring us up to date on the Equality Act.
1: Yes, yeah, so I know we talked about this uh, uh, about a month ago, and again, what it is is a, an act that would very expansively – extend civil rights protections in all sorts of public spaces and and, uh, businesses and other things to those who identify as transgender or uh, for sexual orientation, things that to this point have not been included in a lot of the landmark civil rights legislation that guides a lot of what we we do in our businesses and, and public spaces. It has passed the House And debate is about to start in the Senate, but seems to have stalled, which is, I think, expected since there's only a 50-50 Senate between Democrats and Republicans with some still some moderate Democrats. And so there's sort of two options going forward that that I think we need to be looking at, especially the perspective of, of, of Christians. It is possible it doesn't pass at all, which has happened before. This isn't the first time the bill has come up. And uh, hope, and that would be at least a modest victory, I think, for recognizing certain truths about human nature that we've been trying to talk about here in relation to uh, how God created us. But also possible, although I think uh, a, a not as healthy a sign, it looks like if it is going to pass... It is going to have to be reworked extensively to put in a lot more religious liberty restrictions and one thing it this bill actually was trying to do was limit those protections for believers trying to act in their in their daily lives and It seems like if if it 's going to go through uh, the votes that are needed they're signaling that that that's what they're going to demand is is much more extensive religious protections, much less exemptions of exe- of already ones in place, and so that seems to be where we are. There's a lot of negotiation going on, and the others and and those pushing this bill wouldn't be negotiating if they thought they had the votes.
0: Well, which I think is it maybe comes as a, as a surprise to some people. So I'm thankful for that. I want to encourage you, if you care about this, to reach out to your senators and let them know how you feel um, and and your concerns about the practical effects of this kind of legislation. Um, We have heard the Equality Act described by people like Dr. Albert Moeller at the um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary as the greatest threat to religious liberty um, you know, frankly, that our generation has ever seen. So it's definitely worth researching personally and reaching out to your senators and letting them know how you feel. All right, let's talk a little bit sticking with the Senate. Let's talk about the filibuster. Remind us what it is um, and then what's going on in terms of the debate about either retaining or eliminating the filibuster.
1: Right. So the the filibuster is the uh, method by which one can... Uh, Keep from ending debate and going to a a stall tactic. Is it
0: fair to say it's a stall tactic?
1: It has become one, yes. Mm -hmm. And actually, many people, the most famous one you may have known is if you're a classic film buff, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Jimmy Stewart prominently filibusters in the Senate. And originally, what it was intended to do was the Senate saw itself as the great deliberative body of of republics and wanted to make sure that no one didn't get to have their say, that every senator got to talk as long as he wanted. If he had something to say, it slowly developed into a stalling tactic, as you said, to try to keep a bill from being voted on to maybe try to force negotiation. And that's where you had often these epic you know, the longest filibuster ever was 24 hours and 17 minutes back in the back in the mid-20th century. What it has developed into, and this is partly because the filibuster has been changed where you don't have to be talking to stop to actually filibuster. It's actually now where you just have to keep 60 senators from voting to end debate, what's called cloture. It's now become rampant uh, because it's so easy to do, and made it so that it's extremely hard for the Senate to do anything without actually getting 60 votes to end debate, rather than the 51 that are normally meant to to pass legislation. So whoever has been in charge of the Senate, whoever's had a majority, has increasingly been frustrated at the inability to get things done. And there have been targeted removals of... um of 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 the filibuster because it's not constitutional it's 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 something that the senate sets for itself as its own rules so for now uh, most federal judicial nominees uh, the uh, the US Supreme Court and lower court judges there's no um, filibuster requirement but there is now getting louder talk on, on the left now since they have a uh, bare majority in the senate of whether they should get rid of it entirely And it's re-emerging debates about should we move back to an older system? Um, Is this really serving its purpose? Because, again, it was meant to uh, increase and help deliberation, whereas for either side, it's really, at this point, massively increasing the inability for this body to actually get up or down votes on bills.
0: Hmm. Um, If you were um, in the Senate and you were— Going to filibuster or something? What would you use as your reading material? <laughs>
1: That's a great question because there's been some very creative things read. Uh, there's people have gone all the way to reading the phone book as a way to try to just have <laughs> material keep talking. <laughs> uh, I think given given where I given my point in life with family, I'd probably read, and probably as a little bit of a political jab, I'd probably read a lot of Dr. Seuss.
0: Okay, I'm going to read I'm going to read to them novels that are based on the Bible, because first of all, I think that reading narrative like people would at least have the potential to follow along slightly better than um, maybe maybe if I were going to read them the Bible, I would read the story version of the Bible so that there's like a narrative flow to the whole thing. But I would definitely stand up there and I feel like God might give me the energy if I were reading if I were reading the word to the people into the into the record. Like, I don't know. I feel pretty good about that.
1: I, I would love to see. I, I'm not an expert on on Senate history on this. If if something like that has been done, I'd actually be very surprised. If, especially in the 19th century, if someone didn't break out their King James Bible and, and oh yeah, and just read that. right. Um, but yes, yeah, so there, there's there's and there there have been some great pieces of oratory in addition to just stalling that have done because what ha- could happen in the past is when it was a little more circumscribed. Uh, where where where, the, where by doing a filibuster you stopped all Senate business rather than the way it does now where you can just block a bill and move on um, that you know these the oratory could really get senators attention because they couldn't do anything else and maybe make amendments happen make changes happen make the bill better so I you know I I, I it's sort of sad to see what the filibusters become because of the great potential and the great past it's had to actually make for some great rhetoric that's been effective in in, 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 in making our, our our that body a better body.
0: All right, Dr. Adam Carrington and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We are going to pivot our attention to the U.S. southern border and the crisis there. We'll be right back. Now All right. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington, we're going to pivot our attention to what's going on. A surge of migration at the U.S. southern border. Um, The new DHS chief says the border is closed. Uh, Not exactly sure what that means. Won't give a timeline for facilities that are capable of handling the surge in unaccompanied children. Let me just read the top line here. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, declined Sunday to provide a timeline for when the Biden administration would open new facilities that would be capable of handling the surge of unaccompanied children at the southern border. Um, We've got we've got kids who are coming across the U.S. southern border, um, thousands of them. And there there are timelines in which they are not supposed to be uh, detained for any longer than 72 hours. Some of them have been uh, now in those detainment facilities for more than 10 days. there this is it's just a nightmare. this is just a total nightmare on the southern border, so i don 't know way in way in adam
1: and a and a repeated one it's not as if unnecessary
0: the, it's totally unnecessary
1: and 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 not as if the 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 idea I think among some was it was all president trump's fault and that if you just took away the child separation policy things would be would be fine and uh, and absolutely ab- absolutely not it is just shifting the nature of the crisis not getting rid of it and it really goes back to you know the the idea that um that 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 something more systematic needs to be done about this issue, not just in the name of as as one side of the debate often likes to say, of border security and national sovereignty. And I think those are legitimate uh, claims. But also for those who argue the humanitarian side of it, that that this uh, people in desperation are doing terrible damage to themselves and their families, uh, try, trying to get here on on hopes that. Uh, really shouldn't be out there. Uh, and I think that the the bigger question is, um, you know, there used to be talks about a plausible sort of immigration reform that might Make both sides or at least enough of both sides happy, one that said we 're going to have more security we 're going to have more protection of the border we 're going to have national sovereignty we 're going to know who 's coming in, and the other side to have something humanitarian for you know those who are in truly awful situations, um, but the utter complete breakdown of any trust of the other side, the utter breakdown of any political incentives. To try to, to to make something like that happen, either piecemeal or as a whole, I think uh, just the the problem is we keep being faced with the human tragedy and those things, lack of trust, lack of political um, incentive, unfortunately, just keeps making uh, a, a lot of people be be hurt by this and a lot of of just terrible tragedy down there that I think just seems like it's history going to repeat itself till we till we figure out how to actually uh, take uh, take seriously uh, that they're competing but but combinable uh, 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 perspectives on this that that need to be brought together.
0: I I think those words are good like competing but um, combinable, like we should be able to think through this in a way that honors both the sovereignty of the United States of America, um, and, and respects, um, the citizens thereof and therein, and, um, recognizes that there is a humanitarian crisis in Central America, which is, you know, our Southern neighbor, just South of Mexico. And so, um, we have to engage on this. I guess what I want our listeners to hear this morning is do not disengage. Do not become so outraged or inflamed in one direction or the other that you are paralyzed. Um, this is actually a moment, I think, for creative collaboration among Christians. We need to engage on this topic, not disengage. And so if you've got a good idea about immigration reform, now is the time to share it. Um, call up your member of Congress. Call up your, uh, you know, your, your senator your senators and say, hey, you know, it, it's a mess down there. I've got a creative idea. Um, and keep calling until someone listens. That, that's going to I don't know what else, Adam, to to recommend at this point other than God's got a solution to this problem. And somebody listening right now maybe has their maybe has the idea that is workable or the a constellation of ideas that would be workable and they need to be brought forward now.
1: Yeah and I think there the ideas are already out there uh in some of the things we were just talking about it's a matter of the showing people that there's political will to make the kind of of, of compromises that would would do it and seeing that the other side may have decent intentions that's that's part of the breakdown mm. in trust seeing the other side as evil and despicable and hateful when i think when when you know you, there's always bad people on every side of the spectrum but that i think by and large there's a critical mass on both sides that if, that I honestly believe they're trying to do justice and have good intentions and have legitimate points, even if some of their points aren't made the right way or, or they go off on them in the wrong direction. But those are people you can talk with. And, and if, if people are willing to have those conversations and willing to, you know, not just call individually, but get together in groups that can petition as, as the first amendment allows us to do and, and show that, and, and engage in discourse where we're, we're we're political beings that are meant to speak to each other, and 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 we are really living out, I think, as God created us, when we use our when when you know, come now, let us reason together in a way that allows us to to actually uh, uh, try to pursue justice as best we can, bring it here on earth till till the second coming.
0: Okay, one more topic before I let you go um, is um, is claiming to be old fashioned. Uh, going to be sufficiently fashionable to get Governor Cuomo out of the mess he is in. I that, that's so I, far I, I, what I, th- that is so far what his what w- what his people are claiming he's just old fashioned. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I didn't take Cuomo for being such a defender of cons of conservatism, small C, not ideology, but just oh, I pretend I, I follow the old ways. No, I, I, I mean obviously you want to adjudicate some of these claims, but they're piling up. And in so many areas of so sexual harassment, allegations that that, you know, as they mount up seem like a pattern of behavior, abusive treatment of employees, hiding damaging data about nursing homes and covid, putting political pressure on opponents by using things that should be used for the public good, like policy Uh, uh, implementation. So the fact that he's making that kind of claim, it's not surprising to me. In fact, actually, it's a little surprising to me that all of the New York Democratic establishment is now calling on him to resign. And I would say, given the level of abuses and how much proof seems to have come out already, uh, good for them for being willing to go after one of their own, who not too long ago was extremely popular, because whatever your policies uh, people matter the mm-hmm. the people that are ruling matter the people that are being abused or treated decently underneath them matter. The policies have an effect on human beings as we 've already been talking about with other topics and so even if someone holds your own ideology uh we need another thing we need to get past is that. For that person, if they are a bad human being who has done terrible things to be pushed out of a position of power so they can no longer do that that 's not a loss for your own side in ideology or in in you know in trying to get your perspective of justice put into place it 's actually making it more possible for you and it 's actually the right thing for for protecting our our body politic and and those others who are trying to do good things in it, especially those who are under the authority of people who could be so abusive.
0: Hmm. So so, so well said. So well said. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College um, coming to us currently from New Jersey. Um, Hey, blessings on you. And thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks. I'll share pictures when it gets pretty here.
0: Excellent. Please do. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. (laughs) Your filibuster reading. Thank you for those of you who are chiming in on your filibuster reading. Uh, Some people think that maybe they would read A Tale of Two Cities or uh, Les Mis or Orwell, Solzhenitsyn. What would you read if you were going to hold out as a filibuster in the Senate? You got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.